Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Jen Joy. She is the Senior Director of Innovation and Impact at Atlanta Hawks. And what was awesome about talking to Jen was the fact that we've actually had a history of getting to work with her in the past, and then seeing her adventure, her story progress as she went on to be at Dropbox, and now to the Hawks, to working in sports and innovation, and really the challenges of that, right? The challenges of being in an innovation lab, which is this term that oftentimes gets thrown around and maybe overused, but actually the good work that they get to do in their community. I love how she connected not only innovative ideas, but the purpose of those innovative ideas is actually to serve the Hawks serving their community and how they are tightly knitted in with the Atlanta scene and what's happening and the change that's happening there. And some of the Atlanta of the innovative work that they're doing is not just about, you know, better fan experience, though it's nothing less than that. It goes as far as setting up voting in the stadium or connecting to the community to do a more activity with uh, diversity and just so much more. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Jen. It was fun to catch up with her. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing more about her role from product management through consulting, through tech startup, all the way through to sports and her role as this innovation director for the Atlanta Hawks. Listen in and learn more. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. I want to throw it to you first, though. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're at today. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. And, you know, it's obviously an honor to, to talk to the great Crema team. A little bit about me, uh, Jen Choi, Senior Director of Innovation and Impact for the Atlanta Hawks. I'm based here in Atlanta, have been here since... August 2019, gosh, so almost three years, um, to start the Hawks' first ever innovation lab. And for us, what that means is it's like a dual incubator slash accelerator where we test new ideas and concepts that we think are the future of the business. So that could be anything from you know, new fan experiences, new technologies, but then also new business streams or lines of revenue that might not even touch our core basketball product. So um, really wide kind of breadth of things that we look at and explore. Um, before that, I am a former product manager. Well, I guess in my role now, you could still say I work on product. Just hold on to it. Products. Yeah, hold yeah. on to it. Um, but I've spent most of my career prior to joining sports in product management. So building experiences across web, you know, mobile, SaaS, um, emerging tech, et cetera, at a number of different startups and also kind of bigger companies. Um, most recently, I was at Dropbox leading product, uh, growth product. And prior to that, I was at but on their software side of the house, which is how I got acquainted with a great team at, at Crema. I appreciate that. Well, tell me a little bit more. I want to I dive into this innovation lab because this is a term... This is a term a lot of organizations try to use. Let's be honest. We've heard this before, creating a, a specialized space where we're going to innovate. Tell me what that looks like at um, at the at Atlanta Hawks and, and kind of how you've kind of been able to shape that into what it is today. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting about building an innovation lab in sports is that the nature of sports is so real time, right? 
we're in the season, we can't control the end product, the team, right? So everyone is constantly reacting in real time to what's happening right now, right? I mean, we saw that with the COVID situation and the MBA shutting down. And so because most of the organization are focused on this season, right now, what's happening as our schedule unfolds, there's not a lot of time to think about the future. So the Innovation Lab was really the dedicated kind of protected space where we could think about not what's happening this season, maybe not even what's happening next season, but in the next, you know, two, three, four, five plus years. So um, it was an opportunity to kind of step out of the day-to-day, which again, we're in a reactive industry, right? Trey Young, our star, like, you know, twists his ankle, like the marketing narrative changes, right? So it's real time over things that we don't have that much control over. And so the Innovation Lab is just that place, right? Where we can say, forget about what's happening now. Are we ready for the future, right? And all that we know is, is coming down the line. Um, and especially in our industry, it's things like changing consumer behavior on how you consume content, right? Like we are fighting for people's attention more than ever. And there's so much noise and distraction around you. So, you know, we're seeing people aren't sitting down and watching full games. Um, you know, everything is, you know, they want clips or highlights. Um, again, all of these different kind of factors, trends, changes in, you know, our audience behavior are things that the Innovation Lab really wants, tries to focus on. That sounds super exciting. So I'm curious, <clears throat> one of the things that I know a lot of Innovation Labs or teams that I've worked with in, in that kind of similar objective or purpose is, is the struggle of prioritization. How do you choose, how do you choose what you go after? What, yeah. what informs the, the next initiative, the next idea? Is it things that get brought in from the outside? Is it incubated in, inside out? Is it come from different departments? What does that look like in order to, to come up with the next quote unquote innovative idea? Totally. You know, we want to be intentional to some extent in what we focus on, right? I think there's both, you know, pros and benefits of, you know, just thinking super big and super broad, but what we do before the season starts or, you know, maybe once or a couple times a year, we'll sit down with our C-level, our executives, and we'll say, what are the problems or challenges that you guys anticipate? And if you, and you know, the other question I love asking is if your teams did not have to focus on anything today, what would you be asking them to do, right? What, what are you, what would you ask them to think about for the future? Let us help you, right? Our the innovation lab, we view ourselves as a service to the organization. So we ask them, what are the things that we should be looking at? You know, what are some of the big problems that we want to solve? What are, what should we be spending our time on that your teams can't when it comes to thinking about the future? Um, are there any hypotheses that you guys have that you want to test? Those are kind of the questions we ask. So we get kind of an inventory of stuff, right? Of like challenges, problems. I wish we could have, you know, more time spent researching X, Y, Z. And then we go and, you know, ideate against those, you know, topics or those challenges um, so that when we test something or pilot something, we know that we're solving some problem. There's some utility attached to it, right? And that's how you kind of prove that it deserves to exist is that you prove that this is a valuable service, right, um, to the rest of the business. So 
that's how we kind of prioritize, you know, in this big field of innovation and especially in where we sit, sports, entertainment, hospitality, there's no short of cool things out there. But for us, we want to know that if we explore this and let's say implement it, it's going to have some value. So, I mean, you said I'm not a product manager anymore, but there's a lot of product management language in everything you just said, which I, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about that. How does your, I mean, you've had a vast uh, set of experiences in different size organizations, whether it was startup or tech, you know, tech companies, or now in the sports space or consulting, how does all of that come together and kind of what you're thinking about today? It's really the same underlying premise is you're still building experiences, right? You know, in Dropbox, the experience might be, you know, how you store your, your cloud files, but in our business, we're creating experiences, right? Yeah. For our fans. The one principle that I take from my product days that I am maniacal about is you've got to understand your end user, right? And that's true if you're building software products or mobile experiences, or if you're creating in-person experiences for, you know, your fans. It's the same underlying premise of you've got to understand who you're serving. And, and that's how you can design and build really great solutions and services. So, you know, that is something that, and, you know, the whole kind of theory around design thinking and, and again, really understanding not your audience at a deeper level, not just demographics, but, you know, what are their hopes, wishes, challenges, fears, you know, that level of intimacy with your end user, that's how you build great products and great experiences. So, you know, not a ton of, you know, shock in terms of, you know, how I operate or how I kind of view, you know, my work across core kind of classic product management and, you know, what I'm doing in innovation and sports. Um, it's more that the industries itself are different, but the overlying, underlying, you know, concepts and ethos it's very, very similar. Um, yeah. And the transition in that sense hasn't been as difficult, I would say. I love that. I think that's what one of the luxuries we get to have being an agency or a consultancy or whatever <clears throat> is that we're working in so many different industries and so many different companies, but the application, the approach, the like you said, the ethos of it gets shared across, right? Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Tell me as you've, because you've had this vast experience, I want to go to the teams that you've worked on. What do you think, if you look back to some of the teams that you've been a part of, whether again, no matter which size company that you've been, or even the teams that you're part of now, what makes a really effective team? When you start thinking about the roles, the, the experience, the like ethos, what are the, what are the attributes that you go, man, I, when, when a team's firing on these types of cylinders, we're getting stuff done. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, a couple of good characteristics I would think of a high performance team. I think one where the team is built on a foundation of trust and respect and authenticity. Mm. When you have folks that are of diverse perspectives and can thoughtfully challenge each other, that's when I think really good stuff happens. Um, so, you know, diversity in teams, yeah. um, teams where there's obviously a clear purpose, right? We are here a team for this reason. X, Y, Z cannot happen unless we as a team, you know, do this together and do this work. So like clear purpose and sense of 
you know, mission, right. Of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I think, you know, teams that I've seen operate in kind of a servant leadership type culture, mm-hmm. again, where it's less authoritative and more collaborative, um, I think, you know, tend to do well, but, you know, it's, to me, it's a lot around the team dynamic, right? You know, if you have a great team, the work will get done and it'll probably get done, you know, at a high quality. If you have a great team, that's again, really speaking the same language and working together. So it's making sure you're crafting the right team dynamics and setting yourself up, right. To go, you know, after those wins together. Ah, so good. I mean, obviously you're speaking our language a little bit, but that's because we've gotten a chance to work together. So I appreciate that. But Go into a little bit more. I know you've done some work. I think I understand that you've done some work in the Atlanta area or maybe beyond with within that kind of space of DEI diversity. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and what you've been participating in. Yeah. So the one like highlight of my life, um, personal and professional, was when we transformed State Farm Arena into the largest voting center in the history of Georgia. Wow. For both the Senate primaries, general election, presidential election, and then our Senate runoffs, which, you know, had, you know, tremendous consequences for our state. But really, during that general election, 40,000 people came through our doors to vote during the COVID pandemic. Right. And so for us, we don't, we don't, when you walked in, you didn't see Hawks branding because it wasn't about ourselves and our brand. It was about literally becoming a voting center on steroids, a place where people can come and quickly, easily, painlessly vote in, you know, a safe environment during the pandemic. And for us, no team in the U.S. has done anything like that ever. And so that's why there was, you know, significant attention brought to us. And we literally helped transform democracy, right? We showed you guys, here is how sports teams and, you know, how how brands, right, that, you know, have a presence in a city can use their platform to serve the city, right? So like the Hawks, we believe we're a civic asset. We belong Mm -hmm. to the city of Atlanta. We're not just the basketball team. We are a community partner and we belong to the city of Atlanta. And so our motto or slogan is, you know, true to Atlanta. And so for us to be able to really for those three weeks, use our arena, our massive arena that just went through, you know, a $200 million renovation and turn it into a voting center. Um, you know, I always say during the pandemic, we weren't on the courts, we were in the streets. We were trying to uplift the community around us. And in the time that we knew was probably the most challenging for so many. And so some of the work I do um, on the DEI side, I really am so passionate about because to me, it's the next evolution of diversity, equity, inclusion. So when you think of diversity, equity, inclusion, in my opinion, we are past the awareness stage. We all know that there are real issues in our country. And so for us, we thought, well, if we want to help solve that, well, what do we need to do? And for us, it was, we got to go to the root cause, right? What is the root cause of a lot of what we're seeing? It's inequity. It's, you know, how do you create generational wealth? How do you create, you know, and be the place for small businesses to thrive? So my role in DEI is really driving the economic empowerment of underrepresented groups in Atlanta. Because to us, 
That's how you make real long-lasting systemic change is you, you tackle the root cause problems, right? Lack of jobs, lack of access. Again, you know, the inability or not sure how to create generational wealth. Like that's how you truly move the needle. So the work I've been doing has been leading some of the key partnerships with the Hawks and the city um, to find ways that we can really support the community in terms of, again, driving the economic mobility of our constituents. So we're working with the Russell Innovation Center for Entre Entrepreneurs, it's the largest um, accelerator program for Black entrepreneurs. They provide end-to-end -end services from marketing to legal to graphic design, um, partnered with you know, most of the you know, big organizations you know, across all industries. But really, you know, that partnership is how do you make Atlanta the place for Black entrepreneurs to come and start their business? Yeah. Um, so for us, like, again, we're looking at, it's not just about posting a graphic on social media. It's not performative. It's really looking at what are those problems and how do we use our immense platform as a sports team, as an NBA franchise to really help go and address those issues. It's fascinating because you have... You do have a platform because a sports team is is a persona for a community, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then you have the second layer, which is you have a space, which is you know a gathering place for a community. Um, and then underneath that, you have infrastructure and process and technology that all play into what you can bring to the community. Um, so you have the, this incredible set of ingredients to work with. That must be really exciting. And also, like I said, really challenging at the same time. It's, ex it's super exciting. It's, it is challenging in, in certain ways, but you know, we view it as a privilege, right. Mm. And, and an honor to be able to serve the city and the great people of Atlanta. Again, you know, I don't know how many teams you'll talk to, but we'll say for sure that we are a civic asset. We belong to the city of Atlanta and it is our responsibility to support and uplift the community. Um, you know, it's it's funny, community in a lot of organizations is like a separate thing. You know, like mm -hmm. you have corporate response. Community for us is infused in everything we do. You know, we try to think about what is the community aspect and it's become second nature to us because that's really over the past couple of years who we really wanted to establish ourselves as is, you know, a true community partner. Gosh, that's cool. That's really, that's a really unique. Um, and again, I think again, the sports space is, has permission to do that. And the community, community responds to that. Uh, permission is this big idea that I've been thinking about lately of what, whether that's inside of work or outside of work is what are we both invited to and what are we given permission to be a part of? And mm -hmm. given just the nature of who you are and what you do as an organization, the community gives you permission to be in a space that no one else might not have the ability to do. Right. And it's our responsibility to then lead, you know, when they say, you know, great power comes great responsibility because yeah. we have a voice, right. And we're in the spotlight frequently, you know, I, we have to make sure we're using that responsibly and again, being good kind of civic partners, um, you know, t to the city. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. So I want to come back into um, kind of the innovation lab and other things that you're working on. What's, what's something that you're, 
I, the, I mean, I did see the pictures from the, the voting. I remember seeing the arena and everything was spread out properly. And of course, this is in a time where there was so much uncertainty about safety. But um, what are other things that have come out of the lab or come out of the work that you've been doing over the last few years that you go, man, I'm just really excited. I'm really proud of this work that we were able to accomplish, again, in any of the, the spheres of your influence. Yeah, I think uh, most recently we launched NFTs, which for me was like my full-time job for, you know, two, three months getting that out. So much work. A lot of work navigating the space, the legal, you know, gray areas. But really for us, it was, again, taking a concept that's new-ish, right? New to most people, you know, concept of NFTs, right? And and the blockchain Um, and being able to produce you know, a new product line, right, for the organization and be able to kind of convince our leadership that our first, you know, dip, you know, toe dip into this space isn't a test, right? We just got to learn, you know, we have a set of hypotheses that mostly were correct around our audience and most of America, right, are not Web3 native. They don't own cryptocurrency. They're not on the blockchain. So how do we take a new concept and introduce it to our audience and make it, you know, both beneficial for us, but really a new way to engage fans. So, and and not worry about revenue, right? For us, we just wanted to learn. And so being able to kind of launch a new initiative, a new product that, you know, we think has real potential and staying power, um, this whole concept of, of Web3 and, and the blockchain and sports, um, and being able to kind of launch that to our audience, learn a ton, and then take all of those learnings to then think through our strategy for next season was tremendously rewarding. Um, it's the first time we've ever done you know anything in this space, um, and to be able to lead that for the organization was was a lot of fun, challenging but a lot of fun. Okay, so I have to for I mean most of our audience is going to know one understands what an NFT is, but there's so many different variations of NFT. So take take just a few minutes and go into tell the story of. What was your NFT? What was kind of the premise of it? How'd you approach it? Um, you, like you said, a great portion of the, the broader community doesn't have cryptocurrency or access to a wallet or those types of things. How'd you break down those barriers and what'd you learn? I'm, I, I'm genuinely curious. This is great. Yeah. So we, were, we had two kind of um, releases. The first was what we dubbed NFT Week where we released 40 hand-drawn illustrations of our mascot, Harry the Hawk, in, uh, you know, again, different variations that are a nod to Atlanta and a nod to kind of, you know, the intersection of music, culture, and sports. Um, For us, though, again, the spirit of Innovation Lab, it was a test. So we launched 10 NFTs per day that were different types. So the first day we launched 10, and it was just the artwork, just the NFT. That was kind of our control test. We wanted to see what does just the NFT itself, what is the market value of that? Well, we realized it was a lot, you know, it's you know, almost $600. Right. Then we, the next day we thought, okay, well, let's attach different utility to these NFTs. So the second day it was a $500 Hawk Shop gift card. The third day it was a signed player jersey. And on the last day, and we did these at auction, so they all had different starting prices. We lo- uh, released the NFT along with an exclusive experience, in-person experience. Mm, and so yeah. one of them, you know, it was tickets. You got to meet the team. You attended the pre-game shoot around courtside. 
Um, one that's coming up is you're a player for the day. We're going to take you to the practice facility, get you, you know, outfitted out and, you know, head to toe Hawks gear, shoot some hoops, you know, photo shoot, like you're doing a press conference. Um, so we wanted to just see which NFTs resonate most with our audience. Learned a ton, right? Not just kind of market um, pricing, but really, you know, the feedback, right? On, you know, what drove people to bid more versus less. Um, learned a ton. And then the second part of our uh, release was we gave out a free NFT to everyone who attended our fan appreciation night game, which was against the Wizards. So oh, here cool. we want to just understand if we give them for free, how do they do? Um, and they had four tiers of rarity. So you would, you know, it's kind of like opening a, you know, a pack of baseball cards, you might get a rare one. Um, so there are four tiers of rarity just to add some excitement. Um, so that was kind of our launch, you know, tons of press. Um, we did very well, but what was great is we have so much data that we never had before that now we can use, you know, and, and for, to really thoughtfully think through what's our strategy. So many brands, teams in this, it's such a, you know, new space that so many people are just throwing things in, at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And so we kind of did that, but we wanted to make sure we designed it in a way that would yield us a lot of information so that when we think about next season, we can take our learnings and apply them and then really kind of set some goals against you know, how we view NFTs or the blockchain, you know, as part of our, our overall or our broader strategy. That's super cool. I love, I love the experimental nature of it. Um, and I like the, the way you approach saying, we want to splice this across the spectrum of everything that is an NFT, where it's utility, uh, price. <clears throat> um, I don't know how, did you use platforms? So were you listing on an exchange or were you, did you mint your, did you create your own mint sites? How, how did that all work? Yeah, we had our own kind of white label like marketplace, if you will. Uh, we use the Flow blockchain, which is home to oh, NBA Top Shot. Yep, so one of great. the reasons, the decisions that went into this was how do we, to your point, lower the barrier and make mm -hmm. it as easy as possible for our fans to purchase an NFT? Well, two things. One, the first is you got to make sure you got to let them be able to use credit card or debit card. Yeah. Right? Once yeah. you've said you have to own crypto, for you've lost 75% of people, right? Yep. Um, there's only going to be a, you know, a small percentage of people that, you know, might already have a wallet and might already own crypto. Um, the second thing was we were looking at what else is in the market right now that's similar, familiar, NBA Top Shot. Yeah, of course. So, you know, for us, it was kind of leveraging the popularity of NBA Top Shot with the ease of using something like Dapper Wallet, yeah, where again, you don't even really know you're creating a wallet. You're creating you're creating a login, which people are familiar with. The wallet's created, you know, behind the scenes. That complexity is somewhat obscured to the user, but now you have a wallet, right? Um, and so I think as we think about moving forward, we know we have to make that even simpler. You know, when they say, explain to me like I'm, you know, a fifth grader. No, it's explain it to me like I'm five. Right. Yeah, right. This is not an intuitive space. It's hard to wrap people's mind around. We view it as a journey. And education was one of the key learnings we, we took out of this was got to make it really simple. And we got to, you know, help people along the way and understand, you know, why am I buying this? You know, what does it, you know, yield? 
why is it on the blockchain? You know, what are the benefits? What are the environmental impact? You know, yeah, question was asked a lot, right? Um, but you know, for us, ease of use is was important and will you know continue to be to be very important to us moving forward. What's really interesting about that is that you're you again have this platform that allows you to be the person that educates a lot of people on a new technology because right the fringe cases of the the collectibles whether it's board apes or cryptopunks or this kind of you know really fringe but popular space is still a very niche community right like 100% we can, yeah, we can pretend that i mean i happen to be close to it so i kind of get it but then i step outside of it my wife goes i don't get it i don't know what right. you're doing over there you know but but you have the you have the opportunity to introduce them to something that I think we all believe will be common vocabulary in the next five ten years, right? Absolutely, and I think the different for difference for us versus a board ape or you know doodles or crypto punks is we're a team, right? This is for yeah. our fans. This is we're not selling a security or a stock, right? We're selling you a digital collectible, a new type of product that we don't necessarily want you to go and sell, right? Like, again, right. this is for our fans. Um, and so that's a really interesting learning is there's a difference. There's for your fans, and there's always going to be a couple people that, you know, and I've talked to many teams and they all experienced it that are speculators or investors. And they'll because they see value in our collection, and that's great. And maybe there's a product for them, but first and foremost, our priority is our fans and develop, you know, developing products for them that engage them in new ways. And it gives them the sense of ownership, right? Because that's the whole premise of an NFT is ownership. And so they kind of, I mean, without owning the team, they get to feel a, a sense of owning the team, right? right. Or being, a, or being a, a participant in that. Oh, that's really mm -hmm. cool. I love that that's, that's the experiment. I'm excited to see what else you do with it um, year over year. That, that'll be really neat. Um, okay, so we, we talked about, I mean, we've gone all over the place. This is great. So yeah. <laughs> we, we talked a little bit about your your work, both of an, in an innovation lab space and start inside of a, uh, a sports industry, and of course, diversity. And, and, and we've kind of navigated around a number of different things when it comes to team, the type of work, prioritizing and finding, a, you know, new and creative ideas, the time it takes to do that. What are some of the challenges what are some of the, the roadblocks to doing this good work? What's the things that keep you up at night or the thing that you go, oh, I still have to kind of hit my head against the wall when, when we're still having this conversation. What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, starting an innovation lab, and to your point, innovation is a term that's thrown around a lot. I think it's misunderstood. But, you know, if you really want innovation to thrive, it's not so much about having an innovation lab but about really fostering and building a culture of innovation. That's, yeah. that's the light switch, right? You could have an innovation lab, but if people don't really understand what you're doing or why you're doing it or the value of it, you're not going to get us. You're going to, you're, you have a ceiling, you know, you're only going to get so far. And so, you know, for us, it's kind of dispelling the myth that innovation is like a light bulb moment. It's rarely that right. Innovation is a process. And if you want to win at innovation, you must invest time, resources, people to it, right? Innovation can happen spontaneous and organically, great, but sustained innovation and continuous innovation requires, it's a process. It's a constant journey of discovery, exploration, testing, which means that if you're testing things, things will fail and that's okay. 
right? In sports, I think it's a relatively new concept that failure is okay because in sports, failure equates to that's the end of the road. You don't make the play, right? Right. But, you know, what, what was challenging is getting people okay with that, with the idea that, yeah, well, we're going to test a bunch of stuff and maybe we only do one of those things, but not knowing, but knowing what not to do is just as important as knowing what to do. And now we can say we have data to back up these decisions, right? Um, I think, you know, that was kind of the challenge was just getting people comfortable with, we're, we might put things in front of fans that will never see the light of day and that's okay, right? But we're at least getting their direct feedback on, you know, is this something they want or don't want? Um, you know, I think kind of infusing that, that mindset, you know, of, hey, it's okay, right? We're gonna test a bunch of stuff you know, the best innovation labs I think I read have like a failure rate of like 98%. Right. And that's good, right? Yeah. That means you're testing so much stuff, right? Um, but, but you know, that's a, that's a, it's a different mental model. It's a leap, right? From, you know, a world that's not tech or, you know, have sophisticated product orgs, you know, this idea of, you know, low risk pilots and, and whatnot is not, not like super well-known or accepted yet, you know, but I think, I think the Hawks are there. Um, Sounds like it. Because we test things all the time. And I think we're, you know, definitely one of the more progressive, innovative teams, but you know, it's, it's just a different, it's a different world. (laughs) And it it requires a level of patience and resilience that is, seems counterintuitive to like, to give things time to, to, to know this is a long, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, um, when it feels like we're sprinting all the time, just it feels like short sprints all the time, but yes, that those lead up to a long marathon, y'all we're, we're, we're going to cover some miles here. Um, I think that's, that's something when we talk to companies, when we talk to clients or even just peers is really preparing them for, are you, are you ready and willing one to see, you know, potentially near term wins? We hope for that. That's what we're all Mm -hmm. aiming for. Um, but when you when you experience those losses, that's the where resilience comes in. Because I think the the actual definition of resilience is after uh, I'm not going to get the actual definition, but the idea of it is like when you're injured or fall fallen down, how quickly can you recover to get back up? Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's that how quickly can I recover to do it again? Right. That um, that I think a lot of teams really struggle with because there's so much energy and time and effort put into the thing. Right. That when you go, oh, it kind of flops. Instead of going, well, what did we learn from the flop? Let's do it again. It's right. Oh, I don't want to flop again. You know. Right. That's that's a different posture. It's, it's that's, challenging. That's, yeah. You know, and it's it is counterintuitive, kind of to you know what we know, but it's kind of that pushing the envelope, and you know that will yield us so many benefits down the road. It's just kind of there's always those growing pains, you know. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, I want to wrap up. I always like to end with a positive. So what is something that, again, whether it's with your team, whether it's with Atlanta or you personally, what's something that you're just excited about that's happening in the world that we can, we can end on a positive note. What's something that gets you excited about the future? Well, a couple of things. I think one Atlanta related is we're going through a massive downtown revitalization project. That's really going to, I think, 
make downtown not just you know a place where you work, but a place where you can live and play and feel part of a real community. You know, Atlanta is very transient. You have people like myself, right, that moved here from out of town. But using downtown as the gathering spot and revitalizing that so that we have more businesses come in, we have you know more retail, more people living downtown, I think will be so great for a, the city, right, which has gone through, you know, some tough times, right, in, in recent times, and we, we yeah. all have. Um, it's going to be right across from our arena and thinking through how the Hawks can be a part of that revitalization process is really exciting. Um, you know, I've been talking to a bunch of different kind of companies where I have friends or, or touching base and a lot of them are going to increase their presence in Atlanta. And it's because, you know, they said rightfully so there's been a spotlight on diversity and we've taken a really hard look at, you know, our hiring practices and, you know, our pipeline. And we might have overlooked Atlanta as probably, you know, one of the best places for diverse talent. We are the, you know, home king of HBCUs. Right. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing more attention, more businesses coming here, um, growing our city and the opportunities for, you know, folks in, in this community to me is, is very, very exciting. And I think you'll definitely see, you know, a rise of that in, in the coming years. So, you know, I'm new to Atlanta still three years, but, you know, two, two years and two and a half years, you know, was COVID. So for me, you know, I'm looking forward to helping see the city grow and thrive and, you know, definitely how the Hawks can, can be a part of that. Right. And, and really, you know, move the needle in terms of making Atlanta a great place to work and live. Well, I need an excuse to get back down to Atlanta. I'm from the, I was born in the, in the Southeast. And so I haven't been back in a little while. So I definitely have to come see all that's happened there. Cause I've, I've heard you're not the first, it's been kind of a string of people recently have been like, have you been to Atlanta recently? It is going just up and to the right. It seems like everything's just really locking into place. And then can you come and talk to Kansas city about putting an arena actually downtown? Cause the whole fact that our stuff is out in the middle of nowhere, I still have an right. issue with, <laughs> but and Kansas city, obviously another great sports town, right? Yeah. Um, I really need to go visit. Um, I've heard so many good, great things about sporting KC. Yeah. And a lot of the parallels of what you're talking about, sporting KC has incubated, well, and it's spun off it's a, as its own separate organizations, uh, Sporting Innovations, um, which was its own technology organization. Um, and so they've they've done a lot of really creative work where they got to use this, uh, their their new stadium, relatively new, I guess it's it's aging now a little bit, but as a, as a playground, kind of like you are. Like, what Amazing. if we could try these things in these spaces? I think they were one of the first stadiums early on that had really high bandwidth Wi-Fi. And one of the first stadiums that really tried to figure out how to move completely digital with ticketing. Now, this is yep. obviously like that's all table stakes now, but that was pretty innovative at the time to go. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to go to a, a will call or I don't have to like get my tickets and then come check in. It's like that's all can be digital. That was that was like, super exciting. And it, it is a really beautiful outdoor stadium. It's a great space. That's what Tucker told me. I'll have to come out there, you know, every season you know, we'll visit a few venues and then whatnot and meet with the team. And obviously MLS has seen such great success Oh yeah. in terms yeah. of expanding and growing their fan base. I mean, we see that here with Atlanta United, right. they're the team to watch, you know, they've right. got the 70,000, you know, Mercedes Benz stadium. Um, they're always a, you know, a great partner and kind of case study for us. Um, but yeah, this was, 
thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. And you're always welcome to Atlanta. You should come during the season. I would love to have you and, you know, whoever else from the Crema team as my guests. Um, at least, I don't know, what what team does do folks in KC tend to root for? That's a big question. If, if, so, if, if it's basketball, I would say Kansas City tends to be a bit more of a college basketball town because KU, right. KU is close by. Uh, although I'll be careful, I got to represent K State. Not for me, but just because I might get hurt if I don't mention both of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, a little bit more, a little more college ball. Um, I that you know, it's a. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge college basketball guy. But that I would say probably that's that's where they get the most attention because we don't we don't have an NBA team here. So obviously right. we we can, people kind of go in different directions. But yeah, I mean it's it definitely we have the you know we have football, we have baseball, we have the soccer. And then we're getting a women's soccer team, which is really exciting. Amazing. Um, so, and they're building a whole new stadium down by the river for it. So it's, it's really, really neat to see that, that coming in full swing. So I would love to do that. I'd love to connect. And then, you know, I always like to, to say th thank you. Cause uh, I, I mean it when I, when anybody I interview that's spending time in the space that they're investing their time and their lives into, it's not as simple as, is. um, Oh, you just pick this and kind of just rolling with the punches and like, here we go. I'm, this is the next thing. The level of effort that you're putting into making something meaningful and purposeful, I appreciate that because not the world needs more people that are willing to put in that work to do this good work. So thank you for doing that. And of course, sharing it with, with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is great. Really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to seeing all the, you know, great work Crema continues to do and you know, please again let me know if you're ever, if you or team are ever in Atlanta. Um, we'd love to have you um, at our arena. We'll do it. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.